Welcome to Inner Beauty Code. I'm your host, Rachel Fialco, a psychology master student, makeup artist, and yoga teacher. Join me weekly on a journey of self-discovery, exploring psychology, wellness, spirituality, beauty, and beyond. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome to the Inner Beauty Code. You guys, I am so excited for our guest today. Her name is Jane Kersel and she is a relationship therapist. She is Tatler's happiness guru, the psychology of selves and the energetics of relationship expert based on union shadow work. She's a psychodynamic embodied therapist and hypnotherapist that uses active imagination and dream work to create wholeness, not codependency. She also is a embodied meditation teacher. UK Vogue quoted, Jane can still a racing mind in one session. Jane, thank you so much for being here today. Welcome to the Inner Beauty Code. So tell us more about what you do. Well, I suppose mostly what I do is I work with people. And um, as we know, people come in many various shapes and sizes with things they are knowing about themselves um, or not knowing about themselves, things that they maybe have picked up in their families. So sometimes we're dealing with very conscious sort of awareness of patterns, and sometimes we're dealing with very unconscious. However, our first relationship is with ourself, and that can be tricky to navigate, especially if you're a woman, I think, at the moment. And then outwards, it's like, well, how do we then relate to someone else? And for me, my philosophy is until you can really relate to yourself, it's very hard then to relate to another. And I think why I'm so busy at the moment is I think a lot of people, A, have never been taught anything about relationships. I mean, I never had that in my schooling. I don't know if you ever had it in yours, but it's it's just like something you're expected to just, I mean, no one even flags it. And yet we have all this like playground bullying, you, you know, boys become an issue. And, and when we're young and sometimes even when we're older, we don't seem to exist unless a boy or a man is is seeing us you know you know what I mean it's almost like Mm -hmm. he's not text that must mean I don't exist I mean how did that get so crazy (laughs) guilty (laughs) (laughs) me too me too (laughs) that's why I'm an expert I'm not I'm not trying to sit on an ivory tower and tell everyone how to do it I my experience comes from my experience you know and I'm hoping some of the things I impart with you and things you impart will will help people not fall into the same holes So interesting that you say that because I overheard a group of men the other day, just two days ago, talking about therapy and how, I guess, in a negative tone saying, oh, the, you know, people who are therapists or people who want to be therapists are the ones who need the most help. And it just showed me how still people are really unconscious to their own feelings and their who they are and how they're showing up in the world and how much therapy and and knowing yourself and not just ignoring all of your uh, traumas or pain can um, help you to interact with other people and, and have better relationships in all areas of your life. So I'm glad we're having this conversation and glad that you just, just mentioned that before because it's, it's very needed still. I think it's a very good good thing that you bring up actually Rachel because everybody at some point in their life needs needs someone uh, what I mean by that I'm not even using the word therapy because I think therapy has a bad connotation these days as if 
you know, it's something hippy dippy that's floated over from, you know, California. And, and now we're all like, oh my God, I need a therapist. Whereas actually it's more, I think we're so busy in our lives nowadays that we have very few people we can actually turn to, to get objective either just as a sounding board, you know, someone who is allowing us just to be who we are today. If we, if we go back to our parents and we ask our parents something, they're generally seeing us as the age we were when we last left home. And, and of course, they're going to be highly motivated towards wanting to sort of get us out of a situation or, or, or tell us what to do. And sometimes, you know, therapy or support is not about telling someone what to do, but allowing them the space to, to find it in themselves where they can go, oh, my God, I've got a part of me that is feeling this. A part of me really wants to be in this relationship. A part of me can't stand it. You know, can I just find a place where I can sit with someone who will hear those two parts of me? And, and that will allow me to actually sort of bring it from the unconscious to the conscious. And then I'll get some sort of moderation in myself about what I want to then do. Because I'm, I'm aware it's like instead of it living in me and sending me mad, I've put it on the table and I can walk around it and whoever I'm working with, therapist or mentor or coach, whatever, can walk around it too. And it suddenly becomes less sort of all encompassing about me and it's shameful or whatever. So it's a great question. So to those men, I would say they definitely need a therapist in their life. And that's exactly what I was thinking when I heard it. And I was like, oh, poor, <laughs> poor guys, you know, poor guy and poor people in the, their life that they interact with. Because, you know, as yeah. someone who goes to therapy, I, it's just, yeah, helped me understand myself better and navigate through the world. So, yeah. But I mean, also, you know, let's not be complacent. There's a lot of people who can't afford therapy. And, and so for me, it's about, you know, like this podcast that you're offering up here gives us a platform to take questions, answers now or either later that that's going to help someone maybe go, oh, I hadn't hadn't seen it like that before. Oh, wow. I, I see I'm enabling that behavior because all relationships are going to teach us something about ourselves. That's the bottom line. And it's only when we're in a relationship, whether it's me relating to this bottle of water or, or me relating to a client or a friend, I am learning about myself. I am navigating myself around that and they are too. So relationships are, are the only way to really grow. And I think going back to those guys, what, what I often find with, with men in this, in this situation, they often say those things because they're petrified. A, they're petrified that women or their girlfriends or their wives or their partners, non-gender even, someone who is actively involved in some therapeutic relationship is changing, is having a dialogue elsewhere about perhaps the relationship they're having with one of those men. And that provokes fear. And what's sad is if the man could only say, actually, I'm quite nervous about you going and talking about our relationship somewhere else. If you could get to that point, we could, we could help them. And then they would go, well, actually I can understand it and I'm really up for it. And yeah, I'm going to go too. I am so happy that you just said, explain that. That's such a great perspective and way to look at it. And yeah, maybe something that people don't really think about or come from that perspective of it, that people are are afraid to look at their own stuff, which is a good reminder to me <laughs> when thinking about people in my life that I have challenges with. 
And so on that topic, what is important to have a healthy relationship? Like what are common challenges that you see people coming to you for and um, ways that you help them navigate through relationships? I mean, that's a huge, that's a huge question. <laughs> I mean, how long have we got? We've got all weekend. Yeah. I think it's, it's, um, it's, it's an interesting one because I think sometimes people come to talk about their relationship, hoping that they can just finger point at their partner and make it all be about them. If you were tidier, if you were more into sex, if you were less into sex, if you, you know, dress better, if you were fatter, if you were thinner, whatever, there's all these, and it's all like finger pointing. It's about you need to change to fit what I need. And we're never, ever going to be able to change anyone else in our life. The only thing we can change is ourselves, our reactions to other people's behavior. That, that's the God's own truth. That's the only thing we can change. So partly when people come to me, it's like to get some education on, well, you are in this dance. I, I like to see relationships not as a static thing. I don't believe in this, put a ring on it, and then it's some sort of happy ever after solid state no it's a dance and it will be a dance from the day it starts to the day it ends and even after it ends so if you're divorced and you have children you're going to have to have a better relationship with your ex than you ever did when you were in your relationship because otherwise there's a fallout to the children so for me it's all about you're in a relationship let's see some of the dance steps that are going on in the background that maybe you're unconscious to so what is going on in, in their childhoods, perhaps? Because always we have to think that whatever we're bringing to our you know, more adult relationship was started in our childhood relationship. So whether you had the most beautiful childhood, you might very well be looking for that perfection in the outer world and struggling to find it. Or whether you've had the most traumatic relationship, you're going to need to work on that either before or during the relationship. So you understand what baggage you're bringing and what baggage they're bringing. So it's almost like, here's to, here's the partnership. And, and it's like, oh, on a head level, we, we really get it. But underneath there's all this sort of like ammo that's being like every now and a grenade gets thrown, like you're so untidy. And if we as kids have been told by our parents continuously, we're untidy, we are going to feel shame. We're going to go back into that kid-like expression we were then. And before you know it, we're going to react in such an amplified way because we're not only hearing our partner, but it's regressed us back into childhood. So it's like double whammy. And of course, what we're going to do, we can only fight or flight. So we either go avoid and literally our energy pushes someone away and we're unavailable. Or we're going to fight back and go, yeah, well, let me tell you something about you. And the grenade comes in. And before you know it, you've just got lots of grenades, that which isn't so conducive sense. to a good relationship. What are some, what are like a few keys that you, that you believe are important and imperative for a healthy relationship? Yeah. So one of the first ones is to realize that your head, your intellect, your mind is in the relationship and so is your heart and your intuition and your body now most of us lived in a world educated in a world where this is amplified you know at school do well get accolades get success be more parrot fashion as in here's a load of facts regurgitate get a good mark go to university repeat so we are 
and even more so at the moment, coming to lives and relationships in a very intellectual head space. Now, when we're in intellectual and head, we can explain things, but our partner won't feel it. And also we're not dropping into our vulnerability and vulnerability is not a, a scary place. It's not a weak, powerless place. Vulnerability is actually our powerhouse. Vulnerability is owning how we are, how we are feeling about something. What goes wrong often is people go, you don't love me, which is like throwing that grenade and it's going out rather than going, you know what, when you do X, Y, Z, when you keep the lid of the toilet seat up and I've asked you five times to put it down, I make it mean that you don't respect me, you're not listening, you, you don't care, you're a bit of a slob. And when I make it mean that, I feel really, really sad. Or I could come at it and go, you freaking jerk, you left the toilet seat up again. And again, we're going to get back into that fight, flight, aggression, defense, which will get us nowhere. So if we can drop back into our vulnerability and go, you know what, when you do that, this is what I make it mean because that's my personal expression of what I make it mean. And your partner leaving the toilet seat up might, might just think you're a, you know, a control freak. But when he hears, oh, it's because actually I am triggering something in you that, that is not a great pattern, you can do business with that person, you know? Then you can have a laugh about it rather than it becoming, you know, the point to break up about. I love that. And I... <laughs> I love um, learning that myself and being able to use that in in relationships that I have with, you know, a lot of different people in my life. And it does change how you interact mm. with somebody. And it's interesting. Um, one of the questions that we do have, uh, I was having a conversation with someone over the holidays about how a partner will dismiss their feelings and, you know, their reaction is don't tell me how, how I should feel and, you know, blah, 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 blah. So I think the more that people can get used to speaking this way to each other, it's, it's, it, again, like you mentioned in the beginning, takes away that blaming and shaming and yelling at your partner for not like knowing exactly you know, exactly how to react to you or how to treat you. So super, super helpful. And everybody thought provoking for everyone listening to think about, you know, when you're communicating with a partner. Yeah, absolutely. It's a bit like, if you think about it, here we are in a, in a loving relationship as, as adults over the age of 18, whatever. I'm talking about when we've got a bit more agency, when we've left home, where maybe we're making a bit of our own money. So we're not dependent on on our, our parents, our original care, caregivers. There's this going on, head, heart, lovely, but then there's also the inner child in all of us. So it's when we feel pain, it's because our inner child, it's the child part of us that either feels rejected, let down, abandoned, scared, fearful, all those old trigger points from, from way back in childhood when we felt that. So for instance, if you're in a relationship, maybe a new relationship and he hasn't texted, you know, that's the classic, oh, you know, we slept together, I haven't heard from him for like a week now. I mean, what's that about? I mean, why doesn't he like me? And women mostly go, you know, it must be about me. I must be wrong in some way. I'm either, you know, it's about my looks or it's about, you know, my job or it's, we make it, we literally just amplify back on ourselves and the spotlight is on us. And it's never, it's really hard to go, well, maybe he's busy. Maybe actually he's a bit avoidant in his relationship style because we all have different styles. You know, maybe he's literally anti-relationship, you know, so part of him is in it, but really not in it. 
maybe we're sort of um, well, we we can talk about um, attachment styles maybe in a moment. But the the, the thing that, that really we get through the work is starting to really build your own self worth. You can't get your worth through anyone else. You, you know, if you've got the most fabulous girlfriend or boyfriend, if you put your worth on them, it's massively crazy to do that because at any point they could leave and then where are you you're on the floor and you can't get up so at some point it's it really comes back to that own building of your own inner relationship with yourself and looking at why am I so negative with myself why am I so critical why am I so judgmental of me why do I compare me against others so often and again it's particularly a female trait because of the way girls have been brought up, you know, oh my God, look at her, she looks so pretty in that dress. And to the little boy, it's usually, yeah, go climb that tree, son, and be a big man. You know, whereas if we were saying that to the girl, she wouldn't even be thinking about the pretty dress she's been put in. So inner children, our inner children are what get damaged in relationships. And that's really the work to do. I love that. that that's such a great reminder as well. You have so many great things to say and so much wisdom. So I'm loving this conversation. So you mentioned attachment styles. Is there, um, can we go into that a little bit? Because I know that that topic is getting, those words are getting thrown around a lot, anxious, avoidant, and, you know, narcissistic, all the the things secure. Yeah. So maybe can you explain a little bit about them? Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? And also we have to be careful. We, we love labels, don't we? You know what I mean? It's almost like I got a label now so I can, I'm, I'm just an avoidant, you know, as if mm-hmm. you stay in that place. It's like nobody, you need to do some work if you're an avoidant. Otherwise, you'll never get married with kids. So the different, strat- the, the, the different types of attachment, uh, secure attachment is, is a fluid one, you know, where you're secure in yourself. And, and you're not looking for the, your partner to complete you, you know, that Jerry Maguire. I don't know if you remember that film where he's like, you complete me, mm-hmm. you know, as much as that's lovely to hear in a film and listen to in songs, <laughs> it, um, it's not where we really want to be. We don't really want to have someone complete us because then there's a vulnerability there. We want to be able to complete ourselves. Um, avoidant attachment is where you'll be with someone who kind of wants to be in it, but doesn't, who's maybe gaslighting you a bit, checks out for a while, finally comes back in. If you were to, there's a really good book and I'll put in the show notes later that has a little quiz in it that you can literally run through rather than me waste time now on that. But you can literally um, check in with yourself. What is your attachment style and what is your partner's attachment style? So, for instance, with avoidant, they will fantasize their ideal relationship. And if they're never doing any work on that, you will never be enough because in that moment, it's not about you. It's their own fantastical world that they have created they're imaginary that that just even if you were the most gorgeous drop dead woman in the entire planet still wouldn't wouldn't tick all the boxes and until they regulate that kind of wildly totally over the top place in their fantasy world they'll never get in in an enriching relationship in a nourishing one they'll continually be looking perfect and then anxious and secure Yes, anxious is a tricky one. Anxious is, I I think I was anxious for a lot of my life. It's where you maybe come into the relationship feeling you have to shapeshift to be in the relationship. So you you can't show up just as you. You have to deliver. So you have to look hot when you go to bed. You have to put your makeup on in the morning so they don't see 
you're you without makeup it's like oh my god if they saw me without makeup they might leave you know or you only like sex a certain way because uh if you lean forward you can see lines on your face that's all anxious where you are coming out of yourself meeting them and having to try and fulfill what you think are their expectations uh it's also you know if they don't text if they don't call you said you'd call you didn't call you said you'd text you didn't you didn't text and it's basically formed again like we're saying on all of these attachment theories in childhood where perhaps we had parents who weren't available they weren't around maybe we grew up in families where there was a fabulous amount of houses and money and you know lots of entitlement but the basic you know core needs of a child which is love support nurturing someone they can lean into if the parents not there that will create anxiety in the child because you never know if they're going to be there or they're going to leave and so you come into your more primary relationships with your partner running that same story it's like literally a you know those old tape decks with the, the tape going around it's literally as much as we're saying something up here there's a tape deck going on inside of us unconsciously that is directing our show it has its own needs, its own values, its own opinions. So as much as we're saying, no, I'm completely, you know, I have great attachment style. If that tape is running anxiously, you, you, will, you will feel unsettled in your relationship. And then that probably either style, I guess, anxious and avoidant will ultimately contribute to you like almost self-sabotaging a relationship because I feel like I've, done that like yeah, not every right, you know right. not not taking on the responsibility of for past relationships crumbling but I think you know I saw something today or I saw a, an interview with with a therapist on on you uh Instagram like a little clip saying you know what ultimately how do you self-sabotage a relationship and what like toxic wounds are you bringing into it that are unhealed that you are like setting the relationship up to fail for failure like immediately when it starts and I know like I've had mm. I do this <laughs> I have my own insecurities and I definitely think I'm anxious and make everything about me when when I don't hear from a guy sometimes but um yeah it's 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 really true it's it's important to, to it, it is very very relevant and it's very very true I think underneath any of these sort of labels we want to give, underneath it all is really, you know, our love language, what our love language is. It sounds like your love language is, if I'm in a relationship, I expect to be hearing from my partner regularly. That doesn't necessarily mean you have, you know, you're, you're severely anxiously attached. It could just mean that's my expectation. He's not delivering on it. So the, the mature thing would be to have a conversation. You know, my love language is I, you know, once I'm in something, I have an expectation that you're going to want to contact me. And he might go, well, actually, you're fourth down on my, on my expectation because actually I like skydiving. That's my main thrust in life. If you want to come skydiving with me, then that's great. So I think it's really important that, that we sometimes, you know, light, lightly, not with like severe, you know, sort of like, let's really therapize our entire relationship. Just say, you know, hey, what do you need to feel loved? You, you know, because what I need to feel loved, what you, Rachel, need to feel loved are, are probably totally different things. And a lot of people don't even know what they need to feel loved because no one's ever asked them. You know, I've got two adult kids now and I remember saying to them when they were tiny, 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 what do you need to feel loved? And my son would be, I need you to build Lego with me. And my daughter would be, I need you to read me a bedtime story. 
Now, if I hadn't asked that question, I'd have been, you know, playing Lego with my daughter and reading to my son. And in that moment, they feel heard, their needs feel met. And so they're building trust. It's like, oh, actually, I can say what I want, what I need, and my need gets met. And that, unfortunately, has, is what we've mostly not had in our, in our growing up. Very true. And I am working on this myself in therapy. And it's interesting. I just had this conversation with, um, I had this conversation today with someone I'm dating about um, stuff. And Bravo. Yeah. Yeah. I was able to express my, my uh, needs in a very nice and healthy way. And I think that, again, so helpful for people to think about too, when they're in a relationship, because the trust thing is huge because we all, I mean, not all of us, but most of us, especially whether you're working on yourself or not, you bring your insecurities from not only from childhood, but all the other relationships that you've had. And if someone, you know, was cheating on you or lying to you, you're going to go into the next relationship, having that fear, thinking that the behavior that the other, that this new person is, is doing is similar to the old, to the old boyfriend or girlfriend or person you were dating. So. Yeah absolutely right it's very hard to to pick up a new relationship and not project onto them what we have learned in the past you know so it suddenly becomes all men or all women are xyz rather than actually what i went through there is challenging and it's for me to grow from and learn from so in my next relationship i can't just be really you know on their case and go oh my god you must you know never sleep with anyone else like that's no way, A, that's not love, and B, that's no way to, to control a relationship. You can't control someone, and you certainly can't control a relationship. It's a, it's a fluid, you know, energetic. It's like saying, okay, I'm going to put a, a wall up in the sea. Well, that's no good. You know, you have to let the sea do its thing, and you have to let the relationship do its thing. And, and you just have to hope, like uh, you asked me earlier about working with other people. So sometimes I work with married couples who maybe one person has had an affair. and it's really interesting because that couple will come and the person who's transgressed is feeling a lot of shame. And the person who hasn't transgressed is feeling very judgmental and kind of superior. You know, they kind of, I see in their body language, they come in and they're really upright like this. And the other person's a bit more, you know, walking in with a bit more modesty. And it's sort of like, well, if he hadn't, or if she hadn't, we'd still be, you know, in a successful marriage. And my whole experience of of marriage and relationships and and particularly marital affairs is or any kind of affairs your relationship has already been heading south and so when that person finally goes out of the marriage they they've done it as a final camel straw on the back you know rather than it's not the affair that has made the relationship implode so for instance i had a couple who were married had children they hadn't had sex for five years is it surprising that one of them started to have not even an affair, just more of a dialogue on email with, with someone of the opposite sex and the other per- and the other partner got really annoyed about that and really angry. Well, if there's an elephant in the room that no one's talking about, like, Hey, we haven't had sex for five years, which is not normal unless it's both consciously agreed. It will act out. It will. So I work with couples in particular in that, instance on the parts of us that are monogamous and the parts that aren't monogamous because we all have non-monogamous parts even though people will will say no 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 and whenever I bring that up with people they go 
they either go, yeah, I can relate to that, or they go, no, that's not me. Absolutely not. I get married. I'm in the sanctity of whatever church I got married into, or, you know, it's not in my culture. But then you're staying faithful, in inverted commas, not because of your partner, but because it's a cultural or it's a religious thing. Well, that's not love. That's, that's like being a dog on a leash. I'm on the leash because I'm tethered to that. So my work there is just try to open up this dance again where it's not a fixed state and people are able to go, well, yeah, there's a beautiful man or a beautiful woman walking down the street and you can really, you know, admire that. I don't know, Rachel, have you ever walked along with a guy and uh, you know they've looked at someone, but then you go, what are you looking at? And they go, nothing. And you kind of go, <laughs> you, you were looking at something, you know? And they go, no, no, not at all, not at all. Have you ever done that? Have you ever noticed that? Yes. Oh, like in past relationships. And I used to be mad about it, but I think like, as you know, again, working on myself and being more secure in myself, I, I notice beautiful women or attractive men. And, you know, it's, I, I think I get less mm-hmm. triggered by it unless it's like, ble- you know, obviously there's like a fine line where it can be weird, but yeah, I, I do. Yeah. And I think it's probably healthy to n- allow someone to to acknowledge that without like feeling shame about it right yeah because two things go on so if you notice your partner is admiring someone else and they then go no I'm not you've got a double whammy there because not only are they are they not telling the truth but also they're denying your intuition your gut instinct and your gut instinct is saying "Mm, this this doesn't feel safe suddenly I feel a threat you know, we're all animals at heart. So that's a threat. It's like there's a there's a sexier lion coming through the jungle. And it's like, oh, my mate is like radared in on that. And so it will hit us with our confidence and our self-esteem. And we want to get to a point with our partners where we can go, wow, look at that amazingly good looking person. But I'm choosing this between between you and my partner. I'm not I, I see it, but I but I don't want it because I'm really valuing what I have with you, my partner. But it doesn't mean I can't see something and go, wow, that's beautiful. It doesn't mean I want to jump on it, have sex with it. I can, you know, that's negating the whole of the human experience. The human experiences will go to that's beautiful. You know, we, that's why we've got art galleries all over the world and people have done sculptures, you know. And we have to get to a point where we don't make it mean, oh, my God, they want something else. They don't want me. And that's our inner work that we have to do. And the only way to break through that is to have a conscious talk. You know, when you look at another woman, I make it mean that, you know, you're tempted, you know, and maybe I've had experience. Maybe my ex-partner ran off with my best friend, in which case, boy, oh, boy, that's going to be amplified, isn't it? So I need you to know when you do that, I'm okay with it, but I will, I will get triggered. So, you know, if you really love me, I'd love it if you, you, you not do that in my company because otherwise I make it mean I'm not enough. And when I make it mean I'm not enough, I withdraw. And then I don't have sex and then I'm grumpy. You know, so there's a lot of good that could come out of him or her saying, yeah, that, I, I'm not going to do that. You know, it's a win-win. Perfect. I love that. <laughs> So much, so much, so many little nuggets of wisdom we're learning today from you. Thank you. And then um, I've had a lot longer, a lot longer than you on the planet to to be (laughs) able to come with these nuggets of wisdom. (laughs) 
and a lot of experience with people and relationships. I know we have, before we get to the questions from our audience, I want to just touch on the topic of energetics. So I know that you work a lot with energetics and maybe just that, I know that's a very in-depth conversation or topic that we could have on this, but um, maybe simplifying or just touching on how you can embody certain energetics, even when you go to have these conversations with people, because I know coming from a place of lack and scarcity versus coming from a place of like being in abundance, like you say, or coming from a place of being embodied, there's two different energies with that maybe can give us a little explanation of what that could look like. Yeah, sure. It is a complex um, subject, so I'll give a little flavor of it, but it's it's really something you need to work on with someone rather than just reading a book. So a lot of these self-help books out there are really helpful, like pragmatically, our brain gets it, our mind goes, oh yeah, I have avoidant you know, uh, attachment or whatever. However, it's really about embodying and and it's almost like literally finding a different energetic inside of yourself. We aren't one solid mass. We aren't just our minds. We're not just our hearts. We're not just our bodies. We have many different flavors inside of us. I have an inner critic, you do, uh, an inner judge, an inner patriarch, an inner couch potato, an inner achiever. Lots of these parts live in us. And how do we know? Well, often they get triggered. So we might judge someone. That's always a really good starting point to know when we're being triggered in our energetics. So if our partner is constantly late, you know, that will trigger a part of us that has timekeeping as a really important, again, expression of, of a value system, a belief system, their love languages and don't be late. That, that's simplifying it. When we go into a little bit deeper, the energetic, so I could move anywhere in the room and be in a different energetic. I could move over here and talk from my mind. I could move over here and be more in my body. I think your question is relating to different ways we can show up, say, for instance, as women. So within us all, we have connection to the archetypal energetics. You could look at any Greek gods, you know, ancient, ancient Greece, the, the different types of the goddess. And I know quite a lot of women are interested in, in goddess sort of work. I was learning this with my teachers, gosh, 20 odd years ago. And I remember I was a bit skeptical. I was in, uh, I was in California learning and uh, I was sitting in a really quiet restaurant about to get my flight home. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to try their little test on and see if it works. And we've been working on Aphrodite energy. So if you want to do this, this is a little example, and maybe you, maybe the people who are listening could try this at home as well. So imagine what Aphrodite means for you. What, what does Venus, that's another name for her. So she's embodied. She's in her body. She's not in her body for anyone else. She's not in it to win it. She's not in it. So you are going to find me more attractive. She's the type of energetic that if you were to go shopping and you were to buy five melons, she would be wow oh breathe it in that melon and she'd be really into the texture the sensuousness it's it's very taurian if you've got a lot of taurus in your chart you're going to really understand what i'm talking about so she's all about sensuousness tactile touch intuition she loves being massaged you know if you were to go shopping and pick five melons in your head it's like okay i need five melons check 
okay, onto the where the carrots. So she's really in her body and she's fluid. So when, when you're standing in her, when you find her, she's going to move from her hips, not her head, because she's deeply embodied in your body. She's, she's not living in a mentalized place. So I once got a, a load of women on a women's retreat I did in Soho at lunchtime, walking around in Aphrodite energy from their hips. First of all, they noticed they walked really slowly. Secondly, they noticed how many looks they were getting, like catcalls. I mean, not as, as, a, as a good thing, but I meant as a sort of, wow, I came in and nothing happened. And now, like, I'm being noticed. Like, what's that about? And they just felt fabulous in themselves. Like, they felt juicy. They felt whole. They felt empowered, autonomous. And, and if you practice doing that, it can become more and more of your primary self. And that will increase your your confidence, your self-esteem, and, and even would, would attract someone at a different vibration. So going back to my story, I'm sitting there, I'm reading a book, I'm in the restaurant, I'm channeling a bit of Aphrodite. So I'm feeling, ooh, that feels, ooh, that feels kind of nice moving through my body. <laughs> I'm still looking at my book. There's no one in the restaurant, no one I can see. Suddenly the waiter comes up with a cocktail. I'm like, no, no, I didn't order that. I don't drink. And he goes, no, 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 it's from the guy at the bar. And I'm like, what? And I like have to crane to look around the corner and there's this guy at the bar who's like raising a glass to me. And I'm like, holy shit, like shut her down, shut her down, you know? <laughs> so I know she, I know she's live. I know she's live and I work with women. And, and when they bring that part of them out, they go, wow, I, I've never met her before. Like, who is this creature inside of me, you know? And then you imagine... Imagine having sex when you're in that energy. You know, you're going to take it. You're going to, you're not even going to think, has the guy come or, you know, has your partner come? You know, again, non-gender. I'm, I'm talking, you know, because I, I, my relationship state is with men. But, you know, on all, on all energetics of relationship, if you rock up in that energy, you're going to take what you want. Now, how many women do that? You know, and I don't mean take aggressively. I don't mean take in a, you lose because I win. I mean, own up and go, yeah, I really want to orgasm. Yeah, I really want to. Yeah, I'm not finished yet. Sometimes they don't even orgasm because the guy just does his thing and they're left to go, well, that was, that was great. Not. It's like they're going, that was great. <laughs> and their energy's going, no, no, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. You know, it's so funny. I'm so happy you just said that because I know I've heard from a lot of women, how much, how many women don't have orgasms during sex and how like crazy. I, I feel like I got to a point at, at one point in my life where I'm like, I'm not doing this anymore until I have an orgasm. If I don't, you better, you know, make me come or else you're out of here. Like, don't ever come back. Yeah. <laughs> I got to a point where like sex isn't worth it. So yeah. So hope, yeah. Ladies out there, try this if you're not having orgasms during sex. Yeah. So cool. yeah, and also I think, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm doing a book proposal at the moment all about this. So I'll give you a little flavor of it. I, I think as women, we're so keen to, and again, this is not, this is non-gender. This is just me talking from my experience. Um, I think, I think women are very used to, you know, expanding a guy's ego. It's like, don't upset their ego. I, I mean, I grew up in a family like that where my mother would be like, Jane, you lay the table, da 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 da, da and oh, no, he doesn't have to. He, he's the god of this house. He just does his thing, and we just like you know worship 
we worship the man. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. so I think it's really it's really interesting nowadays when we can go actually actually that wasn't great. That wasn't that wasn't great sex. I mean, I don't know how many women say that. I don't know how many women have got the balls to say that. Ironically, I'm using that word in particular, the balls mm-hmm. to say that. For fear of damaging their ego, you know, make, well, how easy is it for a guy to say, I don't know, your tits aren't big enough or your tits are too small or too big or too round or too this, too that. And, and we're used to that. We take it, you know, oh, you're looking a little, you're looking a little bit rounded in your hips today. You know, we're used to taking that, but we never say anything back to our guys. And I don't know why. And so it's funny we because to, I, we need to go. Yeah, go for it. I was going to say it's funny because then I, I think about that, you know, I just was thinking about this because if you don't tell, you don't say the truth and how is that person, even if the partner's willing, how is he going to learn what you like and what you want if you're not, if you're just not expressing, you know, they're not psychic, they can't read your mind, they don't know, they don't know what it feels like in your body. So I, I'm a total firm believer mm-hmm. of expressing that because then you give the other person an opportunity to satisfy you you know and it shouldn't be an embarrassing thing if you're letting someone into your body or you know going into someone's body you should be able to to speak these things and to have this conversation with with someone you know because that's the most intimate you get you can be with someone it's like i was working recently with um a couple of Middle Eastern girls who are virgins in their sort of mid twenties, and already they feel a bit stigmatized by that because it just seems so, you know, not normal in their in their comments to me. And I was saying, yeah, but hang on, just because you maybe meet a guy who maybe he's had sex twenty times, it doesn't mean he's any good at it. It really doesn't. And most of the time, mm-hmm. most of the time, in my experience, they're really they're really not. <laughs> Mm-hmm. you know yet again we're living in a culture where people just think oh sex yeah like didn't realize I had to I had to be good at it but hell yeah I think you do you know you have to you have to be clean you have to be hygienic you have to smell good you have to physically show up if if you're going to demand that of women that's what I mean you know there's a lot of pressure on women to show up you know in this way and it's like well okay buddy but you too like this is a a two-way dance you know not a one-way stretch and I think so for that I often I often teach women well you need to learn how to turn your own body on before you can teach anyone else how to turn your body on so learn to masturbate learn to not feel guilty about it because again I know so many so got so many clients who as young girls were told don't touch you know as if you should not have your hand pleasuring or feeling something you know I know young people who've ridden and you know they 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 feel that movement in the saddle and they sort of gives them a bit of a thrill and someone has (laughs) shut that down someone has said that's disgusting usually the dad you know and it's like that could shut you down your whole life sexually if unless you do some work on yourself and you and you trace back well wow the reason I I can't you know come is because I remember being shamed Shame is a really big thing, really big thing. You know, you imagine, I've got a a couple at the moment, one of them, you know, he had erectile dysfunction and he can't talk about it. So imagine that, you're in a relationship, it happens. He won't talk about it. She won't talk about it because it's the elephant in the room. So, I mean, what are they going to do? Pretend it's not there. So it's really important that you clear. Yeah, go for it. Just a quick question on that. We don't have to... 
stay on it too long, but with erectile dysfunction, is that commonly a physical thing or is it mental or a combination of both do you find? Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, sometimes it can be a mixture of things. So sometimes it could be to do with his relationship with his mother, maybe, if it's been very close. I don't, I don't mean that in a, in, a, in a sexual way at all. I just mean as in an energetic. It, it can also be um, a, a shutting down of his sexual beingness. So when children reach a certain age of you know, adolescence and maturing, if you're shut down at that point, made to feel like a mummy's boy or, or made to feel like a daddy's girl, you, you can feel it's not okay to to show up in the world as you get older as a se- as a sexual being, you know. So that in particular can have mental issues. I I know I've worked with some men who who aren't comfortable in having sex. They think it's you know debase, you know, not not something that is normal because at some point in their childhood, or or maybe boys who were weren't ever given any help learning about sex. And so they turned to porn and they saw a lot Mm. of porn online. And so for them, they have an expectation, totally unrealistic uh, of what sex is, you know, and how they then perform and they can feel, you know, less than. I think, I think that's a lot going on in our culture at the moment where there's a lot of men out there, young, young men suffering who you know, as much as the women are getting empowered and starting to say, I really want it like this, maybe they say it in a way that's quite aggressive and quite sort of, because we're not used to being allowed to say it. I think we're going to have a few years of us going, yeah, well, I want it really good. You, do you know what I mean? And I think over the, a few years of us being able to say it, it will, it will be less loud. And, and so it will be less scary for men to hear. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's a bit confrontational at the moment. I think with all of these subjects, yeah. we have to check in who in us is saying it and why are we saying it because we love this person and we want it to you know improve or are we saying it to sort of like stick the knife in and be a bit mean you know like like a classic one this is this is this is a classic story like the guy you slept with the guy and and he, he he goes limp and he goes it's never happened to me before I mean just hear that language it's never happened to me before so he's taking no ownership. And in that moment, he has just thrown a sack of shit at you. It's never happened to me before. Mm-hmm. As in, it's your, it's your problem. It's not even my problem because it's never happened to me before. And a lot of women I've worked with would just swallow that down and not respond. When, when you get met by that comment, it's never happened to me before. You have to not swallow it and take it in because that's what affects us. We hear it, but more importantly, our nervous system takes it in. And it's like being slapped, you know, there's a kickback and it, and it punches and it hurts. It's never happened to me before. And you have to go, well, yeah, I hear that. I mean, that's never happened to me either. So maybe you need to go, you know, talk to someone about, about why that's happened to you. You know, so it's sort of like it comes over to you and you go, yeah, but here you go. I'm giving it back to you because it's your problem. It's not not my fault. (laughs) Yeah. 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 If we're not conscious, we make it mean it's us. Yeah. No, I I can relate because I actually, I dated someone who like was very sexually attracted to me, but I would notice like when we have sex, he would kind of like go soft. And I don't know if I know that he watched porn and I think that messed with him a lot, like his expectation, because I remember having a conversation with him too. And I was like, okay, like what kind of porn do you like to watch out of curiosity? And he showed me and I'm just like, this is not real like I hope you know that this woman does not 
really enjoy having seven men on her at the same time like this you know we were, we were looking through different porn I'm like this is this is not she's faking you know and he's like really you think she has like I'm like yes and any woman who's doing that like obviously there's some things going on you know within her that she would be in, be doing this like you know whatever traumas she probably experienced uh prior to this that that should be doing this because that I can promise you that does not feel good. Whatever's happening here for that person. And anyways, so he was like, really? Like, you know, didn't realize that it was fake. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is what is happening here here with you. Yeah. I mean, you have to, with sex, you have to, you have to think about, you know, why, why am I doing this? Am I doing it just to get off? Am I doing it because I love this person? Am I doing it because we're consensually, you know, exploring? So like porn has to be consensual. It has to be, yeah, I'll explore it with you or actually, no, it's not for me, you know? Mm-hmm. And then the question is, why, why are you interested in it? You know, what, what does it do for you? But do it again in a soft, empowered way rather than, I mean, what the fuck does it do for you? I mean, why, why would you do that? Because if you do it in the wrong tonation, you're going to make them feel shame. And then they're not going mm-hmm. to respond. They're going to just run for the hills. Yeah, well... On that note, would you like to segue or is there anything more that we want to touch on before the questions? Just because I want to be mindful of your, since uh, we have some questions Um, I wanted to get to. And I know I keep, I can talk to you all day and ask you a million things. I, I, I totally agree. We could, we, I feel like we're just chatting, you know, and having a lovely time here. Mm-hmm. I think the only mm-hmm. thing I would like to say, what I've noticed working with young women is there is a lot of pressure for women at the moment about anal sex. And I really want to put it out on social media because I don't think anyone is putting it out loud enough about the rectal incontinence mm-hmm. that creates for women. As in, you won't be able to stop yourself going for a poo because the muscles will become so lapsed. I'm sorry to be that extreme and, you know, literal with it, but I think it really needs pointing out. Your guy, if they're asking you to do that, or whoever is asking you to do that, is putting massive risk on you. I mean, if you want to turn it around on them and go, you be first, be my guest, see how it is for you, they then will get a big sharp shock as to what they're asking you to do. And if you're with a person who wants that and only that, I would, I would suggest you leave. Yeah, yeah, I've had someone that I was seeing that one I, I wanted to do that not, you know, not too long ago and um yeah, it was it was an interesting conversation because I was like I have enough trouble getting mm-hmm. st- having things come out of there. I don't want to be pushing anything back up in there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, this is a TMI episode, but you know. Um, <laughs> but anyways, no, that's really. such an important. Yeah. Um, but I just keeping think, it I real here. To, yeah. Yeah, we have to. We have to really feel these are our bodies. We know what we like or what we don't like, and no. And if our relationship is hinged on something that minimal as whether I will have anal sex or not. And please don't make that into a soundbite because <laughs> it'll sound like it's all about me. But if our relationship hinges on that, then I don't want to be in that relationship. I want a better, bigger, wider, broader relationship. And this might be an ignorant question, but if a man is with a woman and asking for anal sex, is there some, I mean, is it just because the whole like is tighter? Is it because 
in, in certain cultures, it would be still considered to be a virgin. If you do only have anal sex, is it, there are some kind of like bisexual underlying unconscious thing there that, that, what, what is your opinion? I on think, that? I think it could be a mixture of all of that. It can also be that the guy just feels really turned on by being more base, you know, I think I think you have to be careful. It's not a power thing with a guy where it's mm-hmm. sort of subjugating. It can be an energy if it's not consensual or not completely consensual. It can be an energetic of uh, they are debasing you. You know what I mean? It's suddenly you're like meat rather mm-hmm. than you're a wholesome, gorgeous, beautiful woman, you know? And, and, and also it's sometimes because it's forbidden. You know, you know it's like anything that is in shadow – which is like forbidden anything we're not talking about becomes like oh my god that's so like woo nuance to do whereas if you can shine a light on it suddenly it loses its like sexy nuance and you go anal sex yeah no i'm not really into that and then they have to go figure you know or you ask them you know conscious relationships are about going well that's an interesting request i mean what is it in you that that likes it you know what's that about and hearing them, but not, again, not taking it in, not making it feel like, oh my God, they're going to leave, they're going to leave, they're going to leave. If you are in that dynamic, you need to be out of that relationship because you're doing the relationship in a in a very um, negative, biased way towards you. You know, that's anxious attachment again. I, I only, He's only going to stay if I have anal sex. I mean, that is no reason to stay in a marriage or stay in a relationship. If If you, if they really love you and they're saying, you know, and and you know it's going to give you rectal incontinence. They should love you more than to want to put that pain on you, surely. Yeah, that makes sense. And such an important thing to touch on because I think that's also like a taboo and very embarrassing topic for both men and women. If men want it, like not to shame them, but also with women to, I think there are a lot of women, again, who may not be comfortable in their bodies or comfortable saying what they want sexually or saying no, because I know even when I was younger, again, maybe it was anxious attachment, whatever I, I would be more prone or maybe if I wasn't really comfortable with something, I would have not spoken up about it and said no. So I think it's, it's healthy to, to just put it out there for whoever needs to hear it. Yeah. Beautiful. Wow, guys, I loved this episode and it was right up my alley. So insightful, so much information there and so many thought-provoking words of wisdom that Jane shared with us. I am so grateful and thankful, Jane Thank you so much. And you guys, if you loved this conversation as much as I did, great news because next week, Jane and I did a Q&A where we answered all of your questions that you guys wrote in prior to recording. So look out for that because we're answering everything you guys wanted to know. Stay tuned and look out for that episode next week. Thank you guys. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you got some valuable takeaways from this episode. Info will be in the show notes, but the Inner Beauty Code podcast is available on all major listening platforms. Don't forget to follow and subscribe so you never miss an episode. 